In her 2018 book, The Opposite of Hate, Sally Cohn takes readers on an insightful and funny discovery of how we as humans can harbor so much hate and how we can overcome our differences and our disagreements and find common ground. She released that book two years ago, so I'd honestly like to know if she still thinks it's possible. I'm Clay Aiken, and this episode is Politicon's final How the Heck episode under the Trump presidency. Yes, a milestone. A milestone for sure. The final episode under the Trump presidency. Let's just let that sink in. But while the end of this administration may make many people happy, it certainly caused a great deal of upset for many other Americans as well. So as we look towards a new beginning under a President Joe Biden, if we don't attempt to make the same efforts to understand and empathize with our political opposites in the same way that Sally Cohn endeavored during her years as a writer, activist, commentator for both Fox News and CNN, we may find that the vision in our country doesn't really change that much under a Biden administration either. So, Sally Cohn, after the rhetoric on display from President Trump and his allies in the months since the election, do you still feel there are ways to heal division in the country through discussion and empathy? Do the events at the Capitol on January 6th represent a rock-bottom inflection point? How should Joe Biden best respond to Donald Trump and his supporters in order to heal the nation's divide? And holy crap, how the heck are we going to get along? You know, look at the world with a gimlet eye, although to be honest, I don't know what a gimlet eye is, but a gimlet (laughs) sounds really great right about now. (laughs) That's what people Um, need. (laughs) No, you know, like, look, it's there's there's a more realistic and then there is a more sort of pessimistic way of looking at that. Right. One is, you know, uh, uh, ironically, even though, you know, a, a people from both sides finding ways to talk and learn and grow from each other. And, and frankly, that's not to be both sidesist about this in any way, shape or form, but like to not write off half the country, but find a way to transform the, the half that country and bring it along into a future that is not only more democratic and pluralistic and multiracial, but is also, by the way, better for them and their own personal and financial interests uh, and health and well-being. Um, and they're certainly the future of their children as well. So it's, it's it, but like, we can't do it, right? And it's become, you know, even just suggesting that that is a goal or, uh, you know, has become toxic. But also, that's also a realistic reflection of the fact that, you know, as taboo or touchy uh, a conversation as that might have been eight years ago, 12 years ago, um, even four, even four or two years ago, it's just, we've gone off the deep end. We really have gone off the deep end. Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you this week is because, I, th- I mean, I am not necessarily, on a, on a policy front, a moderate. I think I'm pretty damn progressive, but I get mistaken for a moderate a lot, not because <laughs> my position... No, maybe that's it. Yeah, <laughs> people think it's I'm a country singer too. hundred percent the accent. Don't you know but that? I, I didn't even know I had one. Um, <laughs> but but I get mistaken for people for moderate a lot because I am willing to say I'm, I'm I'm willing to like Republicans. I'm willing to be friends with people who I disagree with, and I have found over the past year or so there are not that many guests who we've had on this show who are 
that good at that. And you're one of the only people who I can think of in the media world who I think has been, maybe you and Van Jones also, who are who are good at recognizing that even I'm even though I may completely disagree with someone else, I try to to have empathy for their position and try your best. I think I, I mean I've watched you for a while. Try your best to to see the other side. But were you able to do that on January sixth? Um, okay. Well, first of all, you know it's interesting you're singling out Van and I because we both kind of come from a you know, similar background in, in community organizing and having spent time talking to working with right. people with whom you may agree on one issue or 10 issues or five issues. But, you know, when you meet people up close, you realize how much more complicated politics really is. And also you mm-hmm. realize that people are, as Brene Brown says, hard to hate up close. Right. Um, but exactly. then I also joined the media at a time when you know, look, I mean, we could go back and I certainly can be self-reflective and self-critical in this regard that, you know, cable news inherently feeds this kind of hyper-partisan intensity. You don't but say. certainly <laughs> when Van and I stepped into that space, it was not what it is now. And and it's right. it's just worth noting that there's a sort of a, a, a self-selection uh, or sort of self-fulfilling nature to pundits today, right? Where the ones who are more likely to be hyperpartisan are the ones who are more likely to get booked, right? succeed, find traction online, etc. So I don't think those things are super unrelated. You know, um, look, I come by it, honestly, because uh, when push comes to shove, and as hard as I can find many of the views of folks on the right, many, hard, very hard. <laughs> That's yeah. an understatement. Um, you know, I try to remember that, uh, other people don't get to define my principles and values for me. And my principles and values are that all people are equal and deserve equal humanity and respect. And if I really, really, really actually believe that, and for instance, believe that they should treat me with respect, even if they don't agree with my choices or beliefs or identity, then I have to unless I'm a hypocrite, I have to uh, live up to that standard myself. And, you know, again, it doesn't mean I like what everyone believes. I like what they think. I like what they say. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean, you know, finding and respecting, appreciating and trying to keep in mind the essential humanity of all people, and by the way, also, and this is, I think, really, really hard. This has gotten harder since last week. But try to believe that most people are fundamentally good, that people want to do good. Um, you know, I think uh, that too, but right. are we naive? <laughs> well, here's the thing is people like me have said, you know, look, for 50 years, we've had a Republican Party and a far right that has systematically stoked racial resentment, hatred, and increasingly, uh, you know, uh, conspiracies, factlessness, right? And we've said, like, look what's going to happen. And it happened. <laughs> and you can't then also say that that mindset, those beliefs in here in those people, right? They are a product. If we believe in systems and how systems shape people, then we have to believe it on the left and on the right. And that people are products of systems. You know, when I look at the woman, uh, who was shot by Capitol Police. 
Mm-hmm. It is impossible. I mean, listen, she was obviously, there's some videos of her saying some pretty cuckoo bananas things. Those cuckoo banana things didn't come from her brain. They came right. from Fox News and Newsmax and Alex Jones. And, but also, it is impossible for me to separate the fact that, you know, her, her military service and what I and others have talked about for years is the danger of, you know, a, a uh, imperialistic military that systematically dehumanizes others and in so doing also dehumanizes the people who serve and the way that we've you know uh, we use uh especially poor people in poor white and people of color in this country as tools of our military for you know our imperialist and economic elite motives so i can't disentangle all of that and just say oh bad person good person it's 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 just if you if you're if you really are a progressive, I think you have to recognize it's more complicated than that. Well, that, isn't that part of the problem that we don't have the attention span right now to recognize that things take a second longer to think about than you know 180 characters? Uh, mm. I mean, isn't it 260 now? But yes, <laughs> right. Well, oh well, in 260 you can explain yeah, it all. I'm I mean, sorry. You, know, <laughs> you see the, the leap forward in our discourse, right? <laughs> well, thankfully, I mean, but yeah. I mean, the the people who stormed the Capitol. What I think was most really a kind of eye opening to me was how how unashamed, how proud they were, how um, how brazen not just brazen because obviously they were brazen but you know live streaming it videotaping it taking pictures posing so proudly for news photographers in it inside the capitol building these were people who also thought that they were right and the things that we say on the left about you know how republicans have been i've talked to some strong trump supporters um in my own circle even in the last week and have been somewhat shocked by how much they truly believe still believe mm-hmm. that that not only was the election stolen but that democrats have been trying to ruin the country also so so if it's that bad and if it's not just people having differences of opinion but people now so just deeply deeply believing things that may not that are not true. How mm-hmm. is there a way to fix that? I mean, is some? Do you think Joe Biden will be the antidote to that? What do you think is going to fix it? Um, <laughs> no, I don't think Joe Biden. I mean, I, I think I don't think Joe Biden is a singular antidote. Um, nor do I think one year, one presidential cycle, one. I mean, listen, it is when people talk about this, they say correctly, you know, that Trump is a symptom of a deeper set of realities. And again, we could draw back to 50 years of Republican Party strategy since Goldwater to stoke white racial resentment and fear uh, in order to win elections and and promote policies on the extreme right. But we could go back to, you know, 1619. Do you really think he's a symptom? do you really think well, he's only words, a I symptom? He, he, because is, I, he is he is he is unique, right, as a historical figure, but he is not unique in the trends and trajectories 
that he exploited and built upon. Okay, now that I can I can totally agree with you on that. But I mean, I have heard the he's a symptom more so than a than the the catalyst. But the, some of the things that I hear, I grew up in a Republican. I mean, I grew up with yeah. a Republican family. Everybody around me is my sister in law and I are the only two people in the family who didn't vote for Trump. But I have never in my life heard some of the brazen things from people in my cir- circle, community, family that I have heard since the last two years of Donald Trump's presidency. So while I think that certainly he was a product of, he was a symptom um, and a product of some deep-seated resentment or fear that the country was being taken in the wrong direction, some of the stuff that I hear now didn't wasn't around until he got here, um, and I'm not convinced that it was it was always there. I think that's you know, like believing the election was stolen, believing that elections were rigged. This is not something that I believe has really been a concern in Americans' minds in 50 years. Even even when Bill Clinton beat Bob Dole, and my parents weren't happy, they didn't think it was stolen. They just thought. All the people who voted for Clinton were stupid, you know. <laughs> they, so, so there is a little bit of Trump that's very original, don't you think? Um. Well, yeah. I mean, yes, right. But uh, again, here's an example where Trump is building on and exploiting this one example, and there are obviously more examples of this in in you know his record in his rhetoric where he's. Building on exploiting, certainly not maybe the, we got to the point of talking about the entirety of the election, but the the mythology of voter fraud, the outsized mythology of voter fraud, and frankly, the fraud mm-hmm. of voter fraud, um, it was around well before him. Well before him. Uh, you know, the notion of illegitimate presidents was around well before him. We remember, apart from the obvious birtherism that Trump himself played a key role in, don't forget the rhetoric around Barack Obama's election that these were quote unquote low information voters and they were given free cell phones and right, like it's not yeah. this this, you know, and then on top of that. But the, it but know, it never really was so it, it was he's not he's not qualified to be president. He's not Obama. Well, he's not legitimately have, allowed to be president because he was born in Kenya. Like all these things, but nobody said that the ballot boxes were stuffed, did they? Yeah, yeah, oh, 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 there were things about dogs voting and dead people voting. Oh. And, yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, that's where some of these, you know, that's where some of the Republican you know, that's where Republicans use their excuses. They created so their own just mythology of voter fraud to roll back voting rights. This is why Republicans have been, for instance, uh, passing laws for, you know, years in states, uh, state by state, to try to stop people from, quote unquote, bundling voter registrations, right? Because of this mythology. So it, it's, it, you know, part of what is true, and yeah, this is where he is singular in history, is that he... It wasn't until now you had a a national political figure, let alone the leader of a political party, let alone the president, endorsing, stoking, fanning 
all of these things. I mean, we could go back though. Even then, let's go back to Pat Buchanan. I mean, this is not. Let's right? not, like, please. You're right. You're right. We could. We could go. We could go back to Gowar. We could go back to Nixon. We could look at right. Like this wasn't. You know, th- again, it is singularly unique. This goes back to that point about being able to be, you know, sh- you know, not surprised but shocked. Right. We could recognize that he is singularly awful. And in his way, unique, while also recognizing the patterns and systems uh, that he built upon. So when you don't have any free time and you can't read or work on personal development, and and it can be really hard to find time to sit down and read and learn more about the things that interest you, especially when you got so many incredible podcasts like this one to listen to. So let me tell you about a secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's it's an app, and it solves the problem for you. And I really highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. And Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser, all that stuff. It takes the best key takeaways, like the really need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Remember Cliff's Notes when you were in school and you didn't want to have to read the whole book? Blinkist has done that with thousands of nonfiction books and sort of given you the most important information. And you can listen to it too. It's made for busy and successful people like you um, who want to get the main points of a book really quickly so you can start using that information right away and impressing people at dinner parties whenever we're allowed to have those again. Um, (laughs) Blinkist has its audio feature. um, And so it's easy to finish a book anywhere, anytime. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive growing library, everything from self-help to business to health and history, along with the latest titles from the bestseller list and classic nonfiction titles you always, you know, meant to read but never really wanted to. Most of the books from our guests here on How the Heck um, Are We Going to Get Along are are available in some way, some form or fashion on Blinkist. You should definitely check those out um, also. They've got, I won't, I won't, I mean, I'm not going to say directly that I haven't necessarily read all of them and have instead used Blinkist, but, you know, maybe some of them. Um, (laughs) They've got really great books up there. Um, Upheaval, Turning Points for a Nation in Crisis by Jared Diamond and United by Cory Booker are up there right now. With Blinkist, you get an unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash, guess what, heck, slash heck to try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's Blinkist.com slash heck to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash heck. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. So what does it say to you that people like Mitch McConnell, um, okay, end of list, really, spoke, or Liz Cheney this week, um, spoke out against Trump finally, um, I, I know Mitch McConnell has not decided which way he'll vote, but Liz Cheney, uh, certainly, certainly no moderate herself, certainly not from a moderate family herself, uh, voted to impeach the president in the House. Mitch McConnell has not said which way he's which way he thinks he'll vote. And this is not a man who has ever been shy about his opinion before. Are is is the Republican Party seeing 
the error of their ways by uh, from supporting him, or do you think they're just seeing that he's weakened and therefore they don't need to support him anymore? What, what's what's going on in that whole <gasps> Republican situation? Do you think? I mean, if I understood Mitch McConnell, uh, you don't want me to finish that sentence. <laughs> 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 he's he's but there but, but the, I mean he no, may I, be you have to assume at least that Mitch McConnell is he must be pleased with the fact that his former colleague Joe Biden is now going to be president and I mean CNN reported today that they actually speak to each other more often than you would think um and that they may be able to get some things done um, do you think Mitch McConnell is just done with no. Donald Trump or, or well, is the Republican Party uh, you know, done someone, with him? Someone said, you know, political power is to Mitch McConnell as oxygen is to the rest of us. So, you know, mm. Mitch McConnell has many faults. Um, you don't say. I'd be happy to list them sometimes. <laughs> we don't have but much time. <laughs> he is masterful in his capacity to hold on to power. And his capacity to um, hold his, uh, you know, certainly his caucus together and, um, and, and, and get done what he wants to get done. So I think, and I have to believe that, you know, I think very credible reporting on this, both by credible journalists and also because I think it squares, uh, that Mitch McConnell all along, you know, figured he was making a devil's bargain with Trump. He didn't like him. He didn't want him. No, I mean, let's be clear. Let's look at Lindsey Graham. Let's look at all of them. None of them wanted Donald Trump to be president. They didn't. They they were as against him. I'm not quite as against him, but you know what I mean? In the in the primaries and so forth, they saw him as, and especially, by the way, and this is, there's some of this that we could also look askance at, uh, you know, they saw him as this sort of crass, you know, unelite, dangerous, they couldn't control him. You know, was it that? I don't think they really cared that he was, you know, attacking Mexicans and so forth. That part, I don't think they gave two craps about. Um, now, Mitch McConnell, however, sucked it up because he saw that his party, the Republican Party, was increasingly becoming Donald Trump's party and saw. And this is, I think, very clear. I'd like to think that if, um, you know, they had been able to vote blindly. Uh, without without you know transparency that more I, I pray that more house republicans would have actually voted to impeach but i think they do genuinely not only fear for their political futures but probably fear for their families because they know their their they and their families will be threatened um so you know i think the minute the minute that mitch mcconnell thought he could get rid of trump without repercussion and even then he's hedging right he's not saying he supports it he's just saying you should let it happen um, and, and all evidence points to the fact that that's because corporate corporate donors are backing away from Republican Party and Republican candidates. And Mitch McConnell's power stems directly from his ability to funnel money to candidates and to his caucus. And so he now, I think that's it. You know, the money is its own party, as they say. I, I read a hypothetical on Twitter the other day, yesterday, that has just totally stuck in my head and has fascinated me as a hypothetical sense that if Joe Biden were to discuss with Mitch McConnell and and make a bargain of some of some sort with uh, at least 17 Republicans that Biden would agree to pardon Trump for federal crimes in exchange for 
17 Republicans convicting him, joining to convict him in the Senate. I know that's hypothetical, but it was discussed. I read it on Twitter yesterday, and then I think it was discussed on Michael Smirconish today. Um, How would you feel about something like that? You know, I've studied, you know, the worst of the worst of post- genocidal nations, nations that truly were, you know, that didn't just come close right, to you the went break, to Rwanda for your last book, right? And, right. And, and, you know, in countries like Rwanda, in South Africa, in countries that have really been truly torn asunder by the type of hate, stoking of hatred that we've seen throughout this administration and certainly so come to a head on January 6th, the path forward that has proven time and time again to be the only workable solution has been the process coined as truth and reconciliation. And the important part of that, I think that we leave behind when we sort of say them together, we say truth and reconciliation is, it, is the sequencing of them. Okay. Right. And and by the way, this puts aside for a second that I think, you know, that, uh, you know, he should be impeached, even if the trial goes on after it is important to impeach him, both because it shows we actually give a damn about our nation and our nation's security. Uh, and it stops him from being president again. Well, and you uh, have to make sure that. And at least you have to make sure that, that that some president in the future doesn't say, "Oh, well, I've only got a month, uh, four weeks left, so I might as well bomb Denver." So because I mean, you've got to think right. like you got like, all of this makes me every time I think. Remember when Obama there was a red line in Syria and he didn't, you know, but like, <laughs> but it, anyway. So the other point is the truth and reconciliation. There has to be accountability. There has to be an honest reckoning with what actually happened. And what was done, what was committed before we can get to healing, before we can get to unity, before we well, can get truth, to learning. But truth, right? One comes truth is written. Other. Truth is written by these various disparate media outlets now, isn't it? And I mean, I, I this person who I spoke to the other day about this that just sort of made me scratch my head and think, what world am I living in? This person. I noticed had a Newsmax app on their TV, and <laughs> I was like, "Well, there's 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 your answer." I mean, that's where they get their news from. So, so truth is Let's coming. Let's not call it news, shall well, we? I mean, well, let me ask that: is is freedom of the press a dangerous right that we have? Should there be some law that says you can't use the word news? Unless it's accurate, I mean, is there or is is this freedom of the press, which obviously I don't, I'm I'm being facetious, I'm not suggesting we not have it, but are there some, should we put some limits to, you know, what can be called news if it's not true? Um, there are, that is an outstanding point. And that really is. Well, it's a question. I don't know, know if it's even possible. No, no, but I mean, there, it, it, well, it, it, there are certain parts of this which are easy. And by easy, I don't mean, uh, easy necessarily to do, but it's kind of easy from a, uh, not just a moral perspective, but an action perspective, right? Like it's very clear, you know, people who, uh, violently stormed the Capitol should be held accountable. People who incited violent attacks in the Capitol 
should be held accountable. We should uh, move forward at you know at a it, where our leaders are talking compassionately and persuasively and positively about the idea of a equitable and just and multiracial democracy. So these sorts of things, like I'm not saying it's going to be easy to get there, but we can kind of see where that goes. But what if we can say that media? Trump is, I mean, I'm, I know you're about to answer this, so I'm going to add yeah, another yeah. question to it. Yeah, if Trump, okay. if you, Trump you, incited you the riot, complicated. if Trump mm-hmm. incited the riot, then can't we also say, well, OANN, Newsmax, Alex Jones, they also incited it? I mean, they were saying the same things, right? And telling people who were well, true. And, and this is partly how they, ins- and this is partly how they insulate each other, and partly how it becomes complicated. And then, of course, you put social media into it, right? So it is. This is a not. It is not going to be easy to untangle. It is not going to be simple to figure out how you, uh, in effect, and I, I can't. It's late, so I can't think of a better phrase for this. And this is probably completely the wrong phrase. But put your thumb on the scale of fact and truth. At least in such a way that there is some arbiter, some sense that people can reliably know. That is fact and that is truth. While not uh, making people feel squelched or silenced. because. There is a reality. I mean, this is look, look, we've this is and this is testing the core principles of our nation where we always believed that sunlight was the best disinfectant and the answer to bad speech was more speech. And now we have to wonder, is that true? Is that true when you don't have experts? Is that true when going back to earlier in our conversation, we have everything has become the opinionification of media. We used to just have reporting. It was about facts. Here are the facts. Mm-hmm. And you the well, consumer. But- now we, have, now we, now we have opinions opinion as marauding as facts, though. I mean, these some well, of these things that have, Alex Jones says are, are, you know, they're facts. They're just, I mean, I, I can't help but wonder as I'm doing yard work today in our balmy, sunny, 52 degree weather. All right, that's not, um, that's not nice. That's, you, don't, <laughs> you don't have to do that. It was 52. Dude, I'm, already, I'm already having a hard enough day, like fighting with the insurance <laughs> is, company. Is it that bad where you are? This, Phil, listen, 52 like, is, is the best day. Is the best day we've had here. But as I'm doing, as I'm working in the yard, I always have my best thoughts when I'm doing something like that. And I think, is it going to come down to if the government can't censor speech, obviously, and they shouldn't, and the government can't tell news and and press organizations what to say? Is it going to come down to someone suing Newsmax or Alex Jones for? libel or someone suing them, you know, the the family of the slain police officer at Capitol Hill suing them for inciting violence against um their family member, you know, the death of their family member. What 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 is going to govern this stuff because I don't know how you govern it with a first well, amendment right to freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Those two things pretty much allow you to say anything that you want to, say it's a fact and not doesn't matter, right? I think a couple of things. First of all, there obviously have been suits like that against Alex Jones and others, and I think that those are impactful. Um, I do think, uh, you know, platforms having clear uh, lines and enforcing them when they're crossed is also important. But those are case-by-case situations. As for the larger dynamics at play here, you know, ultimately, 
well, ultimately, I think we have done a poor job. And this is this is this is this isn't doesn't answer the whole thing. But what is true is there needs to be some mechanism in platforms and social media, the way people most people get their information right now, which lets people distinguish between fact and opinion. Uh, and distinguishes news sources. And you're starting to see some movement of that. You know, when you go to retweet an article right now, it asks if you first want to read the article. It points out if the what the tweet says has been contention, you know, or contended by news reports. And so we're we're moving in that direction. I think that's that's right. We also have to actually reinvest in, just like we have to reinvest in civic literacy, we have to reinvest in media literacy as a society. And by the way, that should also be the job of news agencies. I remember being when every time I would be on. CNN in particular, which has a, you know, unlike MSNBC, it has a history of reporting, still has a great reporting team. I would inevitably get multiple tweets from people saying, you are the most biased reporter I've ever seen. (laughs) And I had to explain very nicely, but I'm not a reporter. And there's a difference, but we don't, we never explain to people, right? Oh, that person's a commentator. That person's a reporter. And now we put them on TV together sometimes. They're on a panel together. You've got a reporter and you've got a commentator. And Isn't those are that not up to the each, same thing. Isn't that up to each network, though? I mean, what you, yeah, what you described with... About it. Explain to the people... What you described happening. with Twitter is great. Yes, they're starting to flag things. You can't... They, they send you the reminder before you retweet something. You haven't read this article yet. Are you sure you want to retweet it? That's That's great. But that's up to the private organization. And the reason that people are moving to this parlor or to this gab is specifically because those companies don't require that they read the article before they retweet it. And the reason in in part that, I mean, CNN could do everything you're explaining, you're, you're describing right now, and it would be phenomenal. But Unless all of the news organizations said it's very not, broadly and blo- boldly, this is our opinion show and this is our news show, that wouldn't matter, would it? Well, I, again, it is not. There's no silver bullet here, right? There is no silver bullet. And and I yes, maybe on some level the genie is out of the box, but I do think the genie can be constrained, right, by – civic leaders, media leaders coming together and deciding to do what's best. So I think a number of strategies are paramount, right? There should be, you know, when you post articles from certain certified news sites on Facebook, they should be, uh, you know, get a green check mark as opposed to other sources, right? I mean, there are specific things you can do and they happen when people come together and yes, government can play a role, the FCC and others in encouraging requiring this, we could go back to, uh, you know, uh, some of the unraveling of uh, uh, deregulation that Reagan did, which contributed to this. So there are policy pieces to this too. The other thing I have to say is, is this also comes from a, this is not unrelated to, and certainly comes from the divestment in public education, right? The increasing uh, gap in uh, critical thinking skills, right? That that is that is what happened. <laughs> this is we're getting the country. <laughs> Wish that we could force people to think critically. Right wing elite, yeah, but we're getting the country corporate right wing elites wanted, right? They were happy to right. have the free a market stupid public, the decision. a stupid public, so they can be over here distracted by crazy theories while we're over here exploiting them and, and squeezing every dime out of people as we can, and so reinvesting. In public education across the board, including in rural America, quality and not just public education that treats people as 
widgets to be put into factories and to line rich people's pockets, but education that actually invests in people as people, as citizens, as thinkers, as creative thinkers, as critical thinkers. That is, that's a long game, right? But long-term, that is, you know, the, 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 the only way we ultimately solve this is when we have people who refuse to be suckered into the garbage, right? So uh, it's, it's all of those things. It's not one thing. I wish it were one thing. This is not an easy problem to solve. This episode is sponsored by Apostrophe. It's a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their acne seriously. Prescription acne treatment really works, you know, but it's hard to get. You got to get a prescription. You got to go to see a doctor. You got to sit in line at the pharmacy, all that stuff. That is until Apostrophe came along. Apostrophe really makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online. And with this rise of all these interesting online companies, being able to get your skincare online is something that I think is really sort of genius. Because if you've got acne, if you've got skin problems, being able to you know sit in a doctor's office or having to sit in a doctor's office while you got zits all over your face nobody wants to do that so you can do this stuff from the privacy of your home and they make it really easy to see a board certified dermatologist you get treated immediately and your medications are delivered right to your house so you don't have to go up to the pharmacist with zits all over your face and be like please give me my medicine um, all you do is you fill out apostrophe's online questionnaire about your skin concerns Give them a little bit of medical history, snap a few selfies, which we all know everybody's good at doing nowadays, and the dermatologist gets back to you with a customized treatment plan tailored just for you. And the best part about it is Apostrophe actually offers not just the topical, but also the oral medications, which uh, can treat you from the inside out, and that uh, stuff really, really works. Um, they treat, treat acne, but they can also kind of help you with all your other skincare goals, like getting rid of redness. If you're like me, you got a lot of redness wrinkles. Not that I have those, but maybe I do. Um, <laughs> they take care of all that stuff. You don't even need to schedule an appointment. Um, and it even comes with a little cute postcard and stickers to personalize your prescription bottle. And you don't need to go to the pharmacy, like I said, during COVID. Um, medicine feels like it's working right away. And it has all the ingredients that work. You know, get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash heck. And use our code HECK. This code is only available to y'all, to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash HECK and click Begin Visit. Then use your code HECK at sign up and you'll get $15 off your first dermatology visit. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash HECK. And use that code HECK to get your dermatology visit for $15 off. Or you can look for the link in our show notes. And we really thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. Okay, Katrina from LA asks, despite it all, 75 million people still voted for Trump. Will they be MAGA for life? God, I hope not. What do you think happens? I mean, do you think that, do you think that, well, well let me, let me ask another question um, just about impeachment in general, because we never really answered mm. the whole idea about the compromise or whatnot. Do you think the Senate will convict Trump um, or do you think that he's going to end up with a second acquittal? Um, I don't know. I actually don't know. Because that would uh, that I've would sort of counts. answer Katrina's questions, right? I've seen counts in either way. Oh, I don't think either way. 
you know, and this notion of like, oh, well, we shouldn't have impeached Trump because it would appease, like, it, it, his base can't be appeased. They certainly can't be appeased right now. I, by the way, I'm not sure he could if he tried, right? When you saw that, you know, hostage video that he recorded <laughs> the afternoon of the riots that you then saw on, you know, right wing sites, his base turning against him. So again, and that goes back to that, you know, yes. Yes, he's the instigator, but he's also just a symptom. What like, breaks their, than him? What breaks their you know, their their cult like following for him? I mean, it's I can't help but think it's a stupid self centered analogy, but I can't help but think of no, no, you no, know no. some of my fans ex- back in the day who just thought everything I, I shit gold, and I was like, nope, clearly I'm screwing things up. But they still, oh no, he has a reason. He has a reason. He's sending us secret messages through his through the what clothes he's wearing, and I'm like, y'all crazy. It's kind of like that with Trump. I mean, he they they read into you know, which way he parts his hair as a message and a, a message to them. It is a cult, isn't it? Oh, it's a hundred. I was, I was going to go there myself. It is a hundred percent a cult. And, you know, talk to scholars and, and, and ex-cult people, and they describe this as very cult. Like, and frankly, we're entering, this is sort of the, you know, reality television entering politics in general and the kind of cult of personalityification of politics, Right. And in general, the celebrityification of everything, right? Now, our reporters are celebrities and our politicians are celebrities and everyone's a celebrity and we're super fans and we stand and sort of all of that. Mm-hmm. And it definitely does not contribute to uh, critical distance and critical thinking. Let's be clear, on, on all sides. Um, you know, if you stand someone, they can do no wrong is, I guess, how this works. And, you know, what's interesting is to talk to the people who left the Trump cult because if you ever talk to anyone who's ever left a cult uh, or people, you know, ex-KKK people or you name it. You they talked to some former KKKs most, in your book, right? I, I did. And they become, you'd think, you would think they'd be these sort of middle of the road, mushy people, right? Like who kind of still have some of those views, but kind of don't. And But they actually become their own polar opposite. And it's fascinating to watch. Right. And you can see That's this with the people scary. <laughs> who, but what, no, but watch this with, you know, the, the Lincoln project types even, and the people who were Trump supporters, you know, Michael Cohen, watch what's happening with Michael Cohen. Yeah. They become the most rapidly the opposite direction. And so there is a bit of a, then the question becomes what makes the fever break? That's and the big one. In yes. some cases it's, you know, we talked about McConnell. That's one scenario. We talked about, you know, Michael Cohen, we could look at that's another scenario. Those are very, those are, you know, fairly unique. The question about what makes that fever break for the majority of Trump supporters is is one I think we will be discussing for the next, you know, 10 to 20 years in our country. But I, I will Damn. say, here's my theory. I believe that what makes that fever break is when we implement full-throated, bold, good for everyone policies of education, economic opportunity, you know, access to good housing and healthcare and clean air and clean water. And people can measurably see that their lives are better and connect it to that. When they see that the future they have been told to fear and the political leadership of the people they have been told to fear 
does not in fact threaten them, but actually makes their lives better. I, I, I actually pray, I pray that contributes to breaking the fever. I mean, you, you would have hoped that that would have been the case when, when Johnson put Medicaid and Medicare into place and they said that it was socialism would kill everyone and scared the hell out of Americans. And now people would not dare give up their Medicare. But you would also hope that that would have worked when Obamacare came into to being. And people now, we know, realize that Obamacare is something that they don't want to get rid of. And it's very, very, very popular now. But yet still, people say Obama was a horrible president. I mean, it's there's, there's so much <laughs> rhetoric that keeps people from recognizing when something good happens in their life that they need to give credit to the person who gave it to them, right? I mean... Well, that's correct. And, you know, let's not disentangle that from the previous conversation we were having about media and news and information, right? So, you know, the people who say, like, keep your socialist hands off my Medicare, you know, like, what is, you know, so there's certainly some squaring of that circle to be done in terms of people, again, getting accurate information, right? Cleaning up our public discourse. So at the very least it is, uh, you know, it, it, it more heavily, if not ideally fully heavily skews toward fact uh, and away from disinformation and misinformation. So yes, I mean, obviously what I'm saying here relies heavily on, you know, those two components, right? People you know, the people need to actually enact policies. We need to be able to get policies enacted. And, uh, well, three pieces, really. They need to actually help people, right? I mean, if they don't help people, then what's the point? That is is the that is the thing. And you, um, you know, what is interesting is that at the end of the day, that is what Democrats aim to do, is help everyone <laughs> live better, more prosperous lives. So, mm-hmm. okay, let's deliver on those policies. Let's stop hedging our bets. Let's stop you know, feeling like we need to cozy up to Wall Street. Let's actually make the world better for the majority of people in this country. And then people need to connect that lived experience to those policies. They need to draw the connection between those two. And that is entirely about, uh, you know, media, public information, dissemination, social media, all of like that, how that narrative gets uh, made clear, right? So I'm not like, again, I'm so sorry. I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, that's why I'm saying it's not going to happen anytime soon. Mm. But, <laughs> you know, it's like that's, <sighs> you know, what happened? Listen, there's a little version of this that we see with gay marriage, right? Because people were told that when you got right. gay marriage, the sky would fall. You wouldn't be allowed to be straight anymore. And it would hurt you, you your know, marriage. Would, your straight it would marriage hurt your would be marriage. It would, right. right. And I think people were like, they heard all that. And and I'm not saying there's not still a very vocal crowd of people out there saying right. that. And Sarah Palin but said that Obamacare mostly, would give you death panels. Right. But most, but my point is mostly, most folks in the country right now, in a growing percentage, would say, Realize it didn't oh, screw actually, yeah, it's good. It's fine. Because you did it. Because you did, and you know, we there's always this, you know, in sort of movement circles and policy circles, you're always debating which comes first, kind of public opinion or policy. And we're always dancing between those two and trying to figure it out, right? But, you know, sometimes you just make the change and people see that either it didn't do the horrible thing they were told it would or their lives actually got better. 
And there is nothing more powerful. And that ultimately, again, goes back to the point. People, maybe their politics or their views come off as vindictive or spiteful or resentful or fearful. Mostly they just want, you know, a decent future for their children. They don't want to have to think about the government either. They don't want to have to think about this stuff as much. They just want a better life. They want their life yeah. to be easier, is what you're saying. What yeah, are we and going I think to our... a lot of people's lives right now really, really suck. Sorry, what do you Yes, mean? they Go do. Ahead. Well, they sure do. Yeah, I want to move on to our quick fire round. We take questions, um, more questions from our audience. You can send them in. Um, people Sorry, I can just you. talk to you all night. Well, thanks. <laughs> I could talk to you. I mean, you were who I wanted to be on this week. I wanted Aww. to talk to you about this. Um, but I do want to get um, some questions in from our listeners. We'll do a quick fire round from uh, people okay, who send go. in questions for Sally. Um, if you have questions for our guests, you can send them in to our Instagram or Twitter at Politicon, or you can email them podcasts at Politicon.com. Ian from, Tr- I don't write these, so some of them I've read through and they, I don't want to take credit for some of these, um, but I, I'm going to ask them anyway. Ian from Toronto actually asks, are Antifa and MAGA two sides of the same coin? Uh, no. Is that how quick do you want my question? That's, a, that's perfectly quick for me. I mean, I, no, I, mean, I actually, look, the reason Antifa I said I don't, because I don't think Antifa is not a, organization I, I don't believe a, I mean, it's a thing i mean i'm sure there are people i get they're there but it's never amassed any political power whatsoever it has they don't no have organi- hats. it has no i actually <laughs> honest to god I, i'm a listen i'm a certified card carrying lefty and i've never met a, an antifa so i don't know what it is either. i'm gonna go with I'm i personally am anti-fascist i'm not a supporter of fascism that is for sure um so if that's what are, it means but anyway. <laughs> I mean, I've never even seen it written with a capital letter, by the way. I'm noticing even on the on my sheet here, it's it's not capitalized from Ian. So, Ian, you don't even have it as a proper noun. Um, it's not a group. Um, <laughs> Jonah from Brooklyn asks, would jobs and a return to normal put an end to the riots and the protests? I guess he's asking how much, no. how much has coronavirus, how much has COVID exacerbated this situation? You know, no. I mean, it it, it, it is, uh, you know, it became a convenient and politicized, frankly. And I mean, this is one of the great tragedies of, you know, the, you know, the Trump presidency was his decision to politicize a deadly virus. And, you know, what I think is really tragic is that ultimately it will do more harm to his supporters. And I think there will be a long tail uh, of his... Uh, you know, anti-mask messages and his rallies and so forth that will prove to be, um, you know, viciously deadly more toward his side of the aisle. And that is, that is wildly irresponsible on his part and, and just intensely tragic. Um, do I think, you know, but for COVID, but for the shutdowns, but for the job losses, et cetera, um, no, I think, in fact, you know, for example, we know that a lot of the people who came to riot were employed, they were staying in hotels, they were flying in airplanes. So, you know, it becomes a, uh, you know, convenient excuse for people who, again, may or may not be materially suffering, but who certainly use the specter of the suffering of some mm-hmm. to pinpoint blame but let's be clear this sort of again this 
when you're when your support base when your support base has yachts and boat parades (laughs) they're not necessarily working class (laughs) and this is like you know for again 50 years 50 years of stoking white racial resentment and fear as a political strategy it has just always found you know new outlets um but it is it is it is you know been has been a consistent through line on the right of the Republican Party in good economic times and bad sickness and I'm, health. I'm going to do one more from the from the listeners, and then I have two or maybe three. Okay, uh, more from my own, from my own brain. Um, Miriam from Memphis. Miriam from Memphis asks, "Do you think our troops are more likely to be deployed under a Biden administration?" Um, I. Hope not. I mean, I think the reality is, is, you know, that there uh, are different kinds of Democrats. There are more um, hawkish Democrats and and those who are far more reluctant. Do we know? I mean, he was he chaired the Foreign Affairs Committee, but did he? He He is definitely a more um, he is more historically interventionist for sure. Um, But I think he is surrounding himself with people who are, you know, clear-eyed and cautious also. Uh, you and know, he's a diplomat, his, isn't he? I mean, he's more of a he diplomatic... A, he believes in diplomacy, yes. And I think he also, you know, what? listen, what Joe Biden's greatest gift is to be able to read the room. Right. You know, he is a master politician in that particular sense. And I think he knows that our national appetite for... Violence, imperialism, war is at an all-time low. Um, and I, I, either way, what I do think is true, again, especially because of his own personal history, uh, that does give me some comfort and confidence is that he would be intensely um, thoughtful and careful and reluctant to send anyone's children into war uh, as his own son did. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. It's a delicious cereal with zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net carbs in each serving of either the cocoa, fruity, frosted, or blueberry flavors. So I'm doing keto. That was sort of a New Year's resolution thing for me. It's not that easy because all the fun breads and grains and all that stuff you can't really eat. And I love me some breads and grains, but Magic Spoon is cereal. Like, I can't eat normal cereal on keto, but I can totally eat Magic Spoon. Um, Only three net carbs. Um, You can still stay healthy, still enjoy your breakfast. It's perfect. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free too, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, GMO-free. It's So it's, you know, it's got all the good stuff. Go to magicspoon.com slash heck to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code HECK at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. That's that's some people who really know their stuff is good. 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll give you your money back, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash heck and use the code heck to save $5 off. I don't know who chose our code, um, but... <laughs> Heck is what it is. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring. How the heck are we going to get along? 
He's an empath, yeah. if nothing else. I mean, he's definitely empathetic. Um, that's sort of, I think, what drew so many people to him. And that's just my personal opinion. It's certainly what draws me to him. So my question then, what do you think he needs to do? I mean, he's, he, if you, if you ask me, I think he's got the, the, the brand, uh, that we need right now, which is, you know, when he, when he had his press conference, I guess, last week, he talked about how as much as he disagrees with someone like Mitt Romney, as much as he ran against Mitt Romney in 2012, he sees him as a decent and honorable, and I think he used the word integrity to describe Mitt Romney. Um, he's mentioned Mitch McConnell several times as a friend who he disagrees with. And he said straight up, we need a strong Republican Party in opposition. We need an opposition party. What does he need to do to fix and to heal the nation? He ran on a promise of bringing the nation together. What, how, how should he go about that? I think, first of all, it is not only, perhaps even predominantly on him to heal mm -hmm. the nation. Yes, obviously, he'll be the leader, right? How he carries himself, the tone he sets matters. But let's be clear, Republicans broke it. They got to fix it. <laughs> so... They got to fix know, their own is, party in is, order to fix it, though, right? Be, I mean, they have to be, yeah, and, and also act, acting with good faith. Uh, you know, showing their desire whenever they come around to, you know, heal and make whole. Um, I mean, it, it could come know, down to I, whether again, they decide to that, stay Republicans. I mean, might it, might not. I mean, I don't, I know we sure, always talk yeah. about a third party being necessary, but it, to me, it feels like if it's going to happen in my lifetime, this might be the time that it actually happens where Republicans, well, you know. What's clear is we need 10 parties. You know what I mean? This two party yeah. system. Uh, well, I'll it, sign on to that any you day. Know, it just doesn't work. You know, and, 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 that, and to be honest, what I, again, what I think there's a, there's a danger in equating healing with compromise. And I think healing can come through accountability and truth and actually putting your, Nose to the grindstone, solving the problem that people need solving. Part of the problem, part of the whiplash, part of the sort of sense of sickness we all have from the last several years, and especially the last year, is having a president who is more interested in his own ego and his own stupid squabbles than actually doing the people's work. And so I actually, you know, yes, yes, his tone, yes, yes, all of that, yes, but Really, by just being a president who gives a damn, who wants to do the job well, and who wants to look at the problems we're facing and solve them, and that means the virus, that means the job losses. That's, that's a step. That, <laughs> that, that's, but I mean, like, that's gonna, that is a big step forward. And again, it also, you know, when the sky doesn't crumble, and in fact, they get to go back to work and the kids get to go back to school, you hope that a number of those folks who were so you know, whatever, squirrely-eyed about Trump, say like, oh, hey, wait, hey, actually, hang on. <laughs> Functioning government that gives a damn about people. Oh, this is nice. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I usually, for the last question, ask a little kitschy, how the heck are we going to get along? Because since that's the name of the show and all. But I actually want to mm -hmm. ask you instead, are you hopeful? Do you, do you have hope that we will? <sighs> I 
Oh God, that silence doesn't make I, me feel good, Sally. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I really, I, I, I really want to think about your question, and I'm really trying to. I don't want to answer it, you know, with some sort of pat answer. I'm really trying to think about whether I'm hopeful. I, you know, last week, Tuesday morning in through Wednesday night, on the heels of the Georgia Senate race, I felt so hopeful. Mm -hmm. I felt so hopeful that a state like Georgia, for all its history and all its complexities, as close as it was, and I wish it hadn't have been even that close, but still that we were moving in the right direction. And I don't mean Democrat versus Republican. I mean, right versus wrong. That, you know, that arc of history was even slowly, gradually bending toward justice. That gave me hope, you know, that a black man and a Jewish man could be elected senator from the southern state of Georgia, deep in the Confederacy. That gave me hope. And the fact that this white supremacist rebellion came on the heels of that moment does not to me feel like an accident. And I am trying to remember that for all the people who voted for Trump, for all the people who supported them, for all the people who participated in those riots and cheered them on, there are more Americans on the other side. And that, that we are growing. And that is, in fact, what is the greatest threat the, that is motivating those extremists. So their, their, their fantasies, their fears, their conspiracies are motivated by our reality that in fact we are becoming a more perfect union a more inclusive mm -hmm. union a more democratic union that when i can get myself there when i can remember that when i can hold on to that that gives me hope that gives me tremendous hope damn that was perfect i don't want to even say anymore sally Cohn. um the i yeah i know it's a little <laughs> bit old but i think it's good for people to go back and and if you haven't read um sally's book uh from a few years mm. ago um the opposite of hate a field guide to uh what a field guide to, to repairing, yeah, our humanity. repairing our humanity i knew it was a field someday guide. we'll do it it's it is it is i i i think that it's a per I read it about a year and a half ago and I think it is a perfect thing for people to go back and read now because I think I hope and after what you just said I'm even more hopeful now the country's ready for it for the guidebook I I really believe that and I can't help but thank you thank I can't I can't thank you enough for being with us in this <laughs> uh, as the sun sets on a, a rough four years. Um, I am I'm rough four glad. years, rough four days, you name it, my friend. Yes, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Uh, it's really nice to to get to talk to you and hear your voice. I miss Likewise. you. Likewise, you too. And we'll see. We'll all, right, all we'll all be together soon. We're all going to get be able to get in person one day. I just feel it. <laughs> it I all like starts. It starts over on Wednesday. Reset. That's my. That's. <laughs> whew, bring it on. <laughs> all right, <laughs> Thank my you, friend. Sally. Okay, thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.